0: Pepperidge Farm, Milano.
1: The richest, most powerful place on earth.
2: A fiction podcast. Tuman Bay. Bay. On an epic scale. Power is everything. Power gives everything.
0: We have to get away from this place.
2: Tuman Bay is our destiny. Now on the iHeart Podcast Network. Duman Tuman Bay. Bay. Be shot and die Listen to all
0: episodes of Tumen Bay Seasons 1 and 2 now for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there, Candace. Jane, how many girls do you think are hoping to get a diamond ring for Christmas?
1: Oh, I know a few. They, they're know? expecting it, yeah. I think it's kind of sad
2: to propose at Christmas time because then. You know, it's it's not really its own occasion, and if anything That's should go true. wrong, God forbid, you know, you would always associate that with Christmas. Mm-hmm.
1: And the guys will always remember that way. It makes it easier for them.
2: <laughs> or you know what's worse is when people propose with puppies, and they put the diamond on the puppy's collar. Oh, yeah, you don't you like think, that? It's kind of yeah. tacky, I guess. I'm really sorry if any of you were planning on doing it that way. <laughs> I, I would recommend a, a horse-drawn carriage sort of proposal. I mm-hmm. think that'd be sweet. A little winter sleigh ride. But yeah. all that aside... Um, When you get past the the glitz and glamour and the excitement of diamonds, it's actually a a pretty sordid business, or at least it has a a pretty sordid history, and not just the diamond, but gold mines and platinum mines, and you think about the -hmm. the destruction of the environment, and then the manual labor that goes into it. It's sort of a sad story. So we're here today to burst everyone's bubble about diamonds.
1: And I'm sorry we have to do this because they are beautiful. But um, it's interesting to go back about the history of diamonds, uh, especially in Africa. If you look like a map of where our diamond mines are, they're mostly centered in Africa. And that's where the bulk of these mines are. And they first found these, uh, these diamonds in Africa in about the 1860s. And it's really been causing problems for Africa ever since. Like, all of a sudden, uh, the uh, British Empire was pretty interested in them and, and really wanted control, and it caused a lot of strife. This thing called the Boer Wars were partly fueled by uh, diamond control.
2: But as far-flung as Diamonds may be across Africa and other parts of the world, too, there's one company in particular that holds a monopoly on them.
1: That's right, and that's De Beers, which you probably heard about, because they um, launched this massive ed- uh, advertising campaign. A that diamond
2: is, is forever. That's
1: right, and it's really done wonders for Diamonds in general. It's made them seem so precious and so desirable. Um, and De Beers is actually started by um, one guy early involved in the uh, British Empire named Cecil Rhodes, if you've ever heard of him in history. Um, and since then, De Beers has had sort of a monopoly on on the industry. And De Beers actually controls about 60%
2: of the diamonds today. And like we were saying, they have this really strong marketing campaign about diamonds being forever and Mm -hmm. the idea that diamonds are precious and rare. And while it's certainly true that they may be precious gems, they're not the only precious gems out there. It's just that they've crafted this idea that Diamonds are the gem that connote eternity and Mm -hmm. true love and Mm -hmm. lasting love. And so it's appropriate for someone to give someone else a diamond as a token of a promise. And that's why diamonds can be so expensive and so valuable, because we're under the impression that they're very hard to get. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to sacrifice cut or color or clarity or carrot And that much, at least, is true. You know, it's very hard to find a perfect diamond, but the idea that there's so few in the market is completely untrue. It's just that De Beers releases a certain amount per year, mm-hmm. and then, you know, those circulate, and those get bought out again. So it's sort of this cycle of diamonds being constantly traded and bought and repurposed and reset. That's
1: right, and their value and the desirability of this created this value, has actually fueled some kind of nasty things that, that have gone on in Africa ever since that it was uh, that it, they were found there. Um, and mostly throughout the 20th century, there were violent uprisings that came about in certain African areas and countries where rebels, very violent, uh, considering, uh, well, the U.N. at least considers them uh, challenging governments that are very legitimate and, and should not be um, violently uh, overthrown. And so these revolutionaries, particularly in uh, Sierra Leone in the early 90s, actually, these revolutionaries uh, started terrorizing villagers. And uh, they took control of the diamond mines during this time so that they could fuel their their uprisings. And they did this very systematically, moving from diamond village to mm-hmm. diamond village.
2: And they would force everyone to work for them and to relinquish control of the mines to their rebel groups, and they did this at the expense of, of killing people mm-hmm. or of cutting off their limbs, yeah. and some people are so frightened that they simply abandoned their towns so by the time this was all over, we had about twenty thousand bodily mutilations that took place, about seventy five thousand murders, and nearly two million people who'd fled. And we displaced. And we should mention that in 2002, the violence in Sierra Leone came to an end.
1: That's right. And not all places have been completely uh, eradicated of this, of this so-called blood diamond stuff going on. Um, and we should also note that overall, they think it, uh, this blood diamond uh, controversy caused the... Uh, death of about 4 million people in all. It's
2: unbelievable. And yeah. again, it's not just Sierra Leone, but right. nations like Angola and Liberia, the mm-hmm. Ivory Coast, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Right,
1: and that last one you mentioned is still having problems. It even certainly to this is. Day. Mm-hmm. It certainly
2: is. And essentially when these rebel groups have the money to fund their wars and their uprisings, almost anything is possible. And that's the scary thing about blood diamonds or conflict diamonds is that the end result is so scintillating and so so precious a gift that a lot of people don't think about the origins of the stone. That's right. And it's really, really important that if you're giving or receiving a diamond, you question its origins. And the United Nations is making this a little bit easier on us today because they developed in 2002 the Kimberley Process Certification Scheme. And this is a way of regulating diamonds to make sure that they're not conflict diamonds.
1: That's right. And this was a really good solution, because maybe after hearing this, you could think, oh, well, I don't want to buy diamonds anymore. I'm going to tell my fiancé or I'm not going to buy my fiancé a diamond because this might have been the origin of it. And that actually causes problems in itself. If we just boycotted diamonds and cut them off, um, cold turkey. This would actually cripple a lot of African economies that, that really rely on it and it would cause the loss of jobs and, and everything like that. And some, some com- uh, countries, I should say, like uh, Botswana, for instance, in the past 25 years or so has actually been, been able to flip its economy around and, and prosper from the, one of the poorest to one of the the more um, rich countries.
2: All from legitimate diamond trade. And right. And
1: you should know, too, that there's
2: about 10 million people worldwide who subsist off revenue created by diamonds, mm-hmm. legal diamonds, and also a lot of the money that comes from legitimate diamond trade goes to combat HIV and AIDS. So... Again, like Jane was saying, that's a really important point. We don't want to stop cold turkey supporting the diamond industry. And there are people out there who are working really hard to make sure that they are legitimate. And there's a couple things that you can do, too, even if you're not assured by the percentage 99.8, which is the magic number of diamonds that are now conflict-free in the market. What you should do when you're buying one is ask the purveyor, what's your policy on blood diamonds or where did yours get imported from? And you can even ask for a certificate from a diamond supplier. And if that still has you a little bit nervous, consider buying a diamond from Australia and Canada.
1: That's true. That would be um, pretty surefire that it's that's not a blood diamond. There, there are loopholes in the Kimberley process, as you mentioned earlier, the process that, that helps secure that you're not buying a, a blood diamond. Um, sometimes critics at least say that uh, smugglers can launder the diamonds through legitimate uh, Kimberley process abiding countries and pass them off as legitimate from then on. And so that has caused some problems. But overall, at least the diamond industry wants you to believe that that mostly the problem has been solved. So despite the bloody history of diamonds and
2: despite the United Nations and De Beers coming out and saying that diamonds are safe now, there's still plenty of stuff in the media that you may have seen right. lately or not so long ago about blood diamonds. And I think one of the most famous pieces of cinema relating to the problem was
1: blood Diamond. That's right. And that's a Leonardo DiCaprio movie, if you remember that, coming out Um so pretty years much. ago. If, if
2: you're a, mm-hmm. a humanitarian, environmentalist, or um, a 14 year old girl, you probably <laughs> saw this. Yeah. And it portrays the fighting and the conflict in Sierra Leone and um, the Revolutionary United Front that was responsible for so many deaths and it's following the path of this one incredibly priceless diamond as it mm-hmm. goes through certain channels. And I actually didn't see the movie, yeah. So I, I'm only yeah. I'm basing this on what I've read about it. But when it came out, you know, obviously it was sort of a historical film because we know that the fighting in Sierra Leone how subsided, sure. but I think people saw it as a really present and contemporary concern. Yeah,
1: like they were seeing it for the first time, so they yeah. thought it was it was still a problem,
2: right? Mm. And. Uh, the jewelry industry got very upset, or the diamond industry, yeah. I, I should say. And yeah. they were trying to, you know, market to death the idea that 99.8% of the diamonds today are conflict-free. And mm-hmm. whether or not you choose to believe that or whether or not it's actually true, we do know that as recently as 2006, about $23 million worth of diamonds were smuggled into the legitimate diamond trade. So...
1: Yeah, that, this stat actually staggered me a little bit. Yeah. A little scary right there. I'm
2: just, you know, I'm still on edge because I yeah. think that they can do all the right things but until they implement new parts of the Kimberly, uh, the Kimberley process, it's not ever going to be safe. And they're talking about having laser engravings and laser signatures on the stone mm-hmm. so that you know it's been certified. Mm-hmm. And then also having all the diamonds produced from start to finish within the same country. And that's something else that we should mention, too, is, you know, you can find a rough diamond in Africa, you can have it certified, all can be well and good, you know, yeah. it gets its Kimberly Certificate, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but then when it's time to, you know, shape it and put the facets in it, mm-hmm. a lot of these companies are sending it off to India, 92% of the world's diamonds go to India, wow. and that's where small children have to carve the facets, because they have the most nimble fingers and the, the clearest eyesight. Oh, so
1: it's like a sweatshop sort of situation? It is, okay. because, you know,
2: they're carving these tiny facets all day long, they get repetitive motion injuries, they strain their eyes, and worse, they inhale diamond dust. Oh, wow. So it's just sort of a mess. That is
1: terrifying. Yeah, and also another alternative that they've been kind of tweaking with or trying to perfect is the idea of manufactured diamonds, like the idea of making a diamond in a laboratory, basically. And um, they haven't – I mean, they've been able to create diamonds – but they don't, they're not really up to par with the, if you've ever heard of the four C's of diamonds, which uh, happen to be clarity, color, cut, and carrot. They're not quite jewel standard, the ones that they make in the lab. So, um, maybe we'll see if they ever perfect that and if that ever helps the industry, maybe eradicates the, uh, the process of blood diamonds. Yeah,
2: and they're getting closer. I think that. Yeah. Now it's really hard for a jeweler to tell the difference between a lab manufactured diamond <laughs> and a natural one, okay yeah. um, I know that lab manufactured ones typically don't come in sizes over one carat, uh, but yeah. it's so funny because now, since there's such difficulty in telling the difference between natural and manufactured ones, there are machines that jewelers can buy that mm. help them identify which are natural. Which are fake? And guess okay. who created the machine?
1: Who? De Beers, means? Exactly. Uh. De Beers created the machine.
2: <laughs> so um, again, all yeah. a lot of these are going to be um, used in industries that need really hard-tipped cutting tools, right? Right. And um, or even for the military or army or whoever needs, you know. Yeah, because obviously diamonds materials. are one of the hardest material on earth known to man. And and if that's not going to work for you, you can always go with cubic zirconia. <laughs> or one of my favorite things, the life gem. I think this oh, is yeah. so wild. You can take carbon from someone's cremated remains oh, or yeah, hair. I've heard of this. Yeah. And they can make a diamond out of your loved one or even your deceased but beloved pet. You would want to do that? I'm not saying I would love to do it. I think it's a really cool idea. I, okay. I think it's a pretty cool idea. So right. I think in the neighborhood of like three to twenty five thousand okay. dollars they can make a diamond for you. Okay. But it has no history. Yeah. So if you're a person who loves history and, and loves knowing <laughs> that your ring started as, you know, a mineral somewhere in the earth and it was yeah. dug up and polished and spun and mm-hmm. created, then there you go. Yep. Now, if you want to learn more about diamonds and the African diamond trade, be sure to check out the articles on HowStuffWorks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. You're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking, and they are an absolute delight. So, subscribe to the women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The 27 Club is a new podcast about famous musicians who died prematurely and sometimes mysteriously at the age of 27. This podcast is hosted by me, Jake Brennan, creator and host of the hit music and true crime podcast, Disgraceland. Season one features 12 episodes on the life and death of Jimi Hendrix. The 27 Club contains adult content and explicit language. You can listen to the 27 Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Watch out for your ears.